Om Tadviddi Pranipatena Pariprasnena Sevaya Upadekshanti Te Gyanas Gyaninam Tatvadarshinaha Those aspiring for truth and truth alone approach the wise preceptors by prostration, by questioning, and by loving service, selflessly rendered. Then, upon filling those requirements, the wise initiate them into the highest truth, the truth of Brahman. Om Manahi Gyanena Sadrisham Pavitram Me Habidyate Tatsvayam Yoga Sam Siddha Kalena Tamani Vindati Verily, there is no purifier in the entire universe like knowledge. The wise ones realize that fact in their heart in due time. Om Satyena Om Satyena Labhyastapasa Yesatma Samyagyanena Brahmacharyena Nicham Antaha Sharirehi Jyotirmayohi Shubraha Yampashanti Atayaha Kshinadoshaha Om Shanti 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 The Atman, the indivisible self within all beings, is realized through knowledge, moderation, austerity, and veracity, all constantly cultivated. When through this Sedulous practice, mental impurities dissolve, then the seer beholds it, radiant and ever free pure, existing everywhere, even here, in this very body. Om peace, peace, peace. Om Sahana, Om Sahana Vavatu, Sahana Bunaktu. Sahaviryam karavavahai tejasvi navaditamastu mavidveshavahai om shantihi 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 May Brahman protect us, sustain us, and illumine us. May we not find fault with our teachers, with the world, or with what we study. And may what we study be a source of inspiration to us eternally. Om peace, peace, peace. May peace be unto us, and may peace be unto all. Om Hari Om. Welcome to SRV Retreat Center on the 5th of October. We've just completed our Navaratri worship, nine days and nine nights of worship of the Divine Mother of the Universe. And 
I think we performed our puja last night on either Ashtami or the ninth day. So if this is the tenth day, then that's the time when they take the image of Durga that they've created out of various elements of the earth and decorated her with jewelry and clothing and lovingly carried her about the streets in what they call car festivals where people on their bear these um, vehicles on their shoulder and the image of Durga is there and they've worshipped her in various ways. Then on the tenth day they immerse her in the river dissolving all those elements back to themselves. So they immerse Durga back in her source, very indicative or very symbolic of the formless Brahman, eternal, Nitya, being brought into form, Leela, that is to play and sport in in these, this world of names and forms, and then immerse her back into her formless essence. May we also immerse our minds today <coughs> in Sri Krishna's wonderful teachings. Because we have completed five chapters of the Bhagavad Gita, that is, by selecting out certain slokas in each chapter, we followed the gist of Sri Krishna's teaching by essence, according to those slokas which I've selected that seem to confer the teachings most relevant for this age. So, in chapter 6, we have an opportunity to study Dhyan Yoga. I have it here on the board. There's 47 slokas in this particular chapter. So, in those 29 slokas, last week, we managed to go through chapter 5, ending uh, with the idea of Sukkamakshayam and Samsparshaja Boga. Transitory happiness as compared to Supreme bliss. Transitory happiness as compared to supreme bliss. There's a great distinction there. People are quite often not using their discrimination to perceive the difference between the two. So, we ended up last week saying, with the self detached from external contacts, the wise one realizes bliss in the self. Devoted to meditation on Brahman, that one enjoys imperishable bliss. But conversely, the delights that are contact-born of the senses are verily the wombs of pain. They have, Arjuna, a beginning and an end. No wise person rejoices in them. So Krishna's called upon to give teachings of such sobering merit to Arjuna so that his mind can come out of this depression and can begin to make some sense out of this world of action. Karma manasa, they call it, the field of the mind. This whole thing is just the mind made manifest. Every object started first as an idea, then it manifested as an object. So everything begins in the cosmic mind, my mind of God, in the same way that an inventor invents a, a, a contraption. See, it all had to be born in the mind first, or carpenter or architect constructs a house. In that same way, cosmic mind fashions everything out of the five elements, but the five elements are its gross constituency of something much more subtle called thought force. Much more subtle than that is pure conscious awareness, which has no name and form. 
which doesn't even have a concept. Thought, at least, has a, a concept, you see, and matter has, has a, it's fi the five elements for its basis. But pure conscious awareness is originless. It has nothing other than itself. And in fact, Eastern psychology says that's the only sentient thing in existence. All else is insentient. Bodies, minds, take consciousness away from them, they fall dead, see. So upon realizing that simple fact and making it an object of their meditation, the ancient rishis of India meditated on consciousness. May I meditate on consciousness alone? Kevala Asti, one of the great mantras. Kevala Asti, consciousness alone. I am consciousness alone. I'm not the body-mind mechanism. So Shankara, many centuries later, was to say, Manu Buja Hamkara Chitani Naham Nacha Shrochujuve Nacha Granenetre, not the body and the mind nor the life force nor its or the thought of the mind. It's chitta, it's mind stuff. All of that is projected Maya. I am pure consciousness alone, Kevala Asti. And that kind of concentration leading to meditation, leading to samadhi, samadhi being the realization which one gains through meditation, which comes about by one-pointed concentration. So you can't get into true meditation unless you learn how to concentrate. I know people who've been practicing concentration for decades, but they've never meditated yet. They say, oh, I meditate every day, but they haven't. They haven't concentrated yet. When you get one-pointed concentration on one ideal, which is which is one of the main constituents of any spiritual path, and you can calm your mind and control your mind with a firm grip of your own will, not by the control of any god or distraction from any devil, but by your own will, because it's all your own karma that's causing you suffering. You realize that consciousness alone is there is no God, there is no devil, there's just consciousness. Call that God if you want. But don't call this fabricated projection, these illusions, God. God has nothing to do with that. That's all mind. These are very important teachings which Buddhism helps us understand, and Vedanta as well. So, controlling that thought force, what is it? What is this thought force? Yoga Vashishta, when we studied that great scripture, Lord Vashishta called it Sankalpa. So the very first teaching that sticks out in chapter 6, the yoga of meditation, Dhyan Yoga, where he's going to try and introduce to Arjuna this art of meditation, which will allow him to get into one-pointed concentration and reach samadhi, the goal of human existence, is sankalpa sannyasa. He calls it sarva sankalpa sannyasa, a nice long word. If you divide it into its three Divisions, sarva means all, sankalpa means projection of thought force, sannyasa means renunciation. So you renounce all thoughts, and he's about to tell us how to do that. Now, he says first, Then alone is one said to have obtained union with God, when having renounced all projections of the mind, one does not get attached to sense objects and actions anymore. Here's Krishna's first teaching. One is said to be in union with God, when one has controlled the outpouring of the thought process. See, the thought process can go so many ways. That's why you see Krishna in the chariot holding the reins on five white horses. What are the five white horses? 
senses of smell, touch, taste, hearing, and feel. These are all outgoing senses attached to the mind. If you can grab a hold of those senses, those functions, and reel them back in, control them inside the mind by your own willpower, then you have a great power for concentration. Otherwise, it's all distraction. That's why the father of yoga, Patanjali, talked about those kshipta, buddha, and vikshipta states of mind, either somnolent and slothful, or restless, or going back and forth between restless and slothful, once in a while getting a little balance. One day or one night, you feel so balanced, everything, everything is right in the world. Then the next morning you wake up and your mind is in a bad state again. How does that happen? Because of these three gunas, they call them, these three states of modes of nature, which come and go and pass through the mind. But the yogi wants none of that. He doesn't want to be at the beck and call of the modes of nature. I'll say, I will control this by the power inherent in me, the power vested in the self. I will control the small self by the will of the mind, which is supported by the Atman, or pure conscious awareness. So to give that rendering again, one is said to have attained yoga when renouncing all sankalpas, projections of the mind, one does not get attached to sense objects and actions. Sankalpa needs some defining. Let's go back to Lord Vashishta for that. You might remember this from months ago. Listen very carefully to these teachings in the story of Dashura, teachings on Sankalpa. I will give them to you in about seven or eight bites, as they say nowadays. First is, the manifestation of the Atman as visible things is called Sankalpa. So, the power of thought, we trace it back, coming from the intellect, is actually supported by this one indivisible Atman. Sankalpa is just knowledge made manifest. So, are you going to call it a good thing? Well, let's see what else he says about it. This Sankalpa, again, uh, the manifestation of visible things, considering itself different from other things, multiplies and increases prodigiously. Rising from a seed, it eventually obscures the one clear Atman. So, the many obscure the one. There is this one indivisible being, and as the many spring forth from the power of Sankalpa, then you have many subdivisions, bifurcation, on and on ad infinitum, until people are so attracted or lured and obsessed with the external things that they've forgotten the one thing from which it all emanated. This is Sankalpa, out of control. Therefore, development of Sankalpa is an evil. So the wise refrain from walking the path of Sankalpa to contemplate the things of the universe as being real leads to unhappiness. As our teacher, Swami Sheshananda, used to say, you should be able to attach and detach at will. At first, a person who's obsessed with external things gets the teaching of detachment, vairagyam. Oh, discriminate between the real and the unreal. Then when you know it's unreal, detach from it and attach to the real, to God. 
detached from the world, attached to God. But then, when they become adept, they realize that these things, these projected material objects, the senses which perceive them, and the power of thought, sankalpa, that, that projects it all, is there inside of the Atman. It's Atmagyan manifesting as visible things. So you take your own knowledge, you fashion something from it, you project it. It's sort of like a magician creating a fantasy world and then getting into it, but forgetting that he was the creator of the whole thing. Like Walt Disney's fantasy, where things get out of control for Mickey Mouse, and brooms go crazy and water spills everywhere. Uh, that's the state of most people's life when they've lost track of the fact that they themselves are uh, the Atman. They're the one true indivisible consciousness absolute. They've given their power away to other things. Possibly they've given it to mind and senses. Possibly via, via those routes they've given it to other beings. Or possibly they've even become enslaved by the very things that they love, objects. An object then comes to own them because it takes up all their attention. Say, the TV. They get owned by the TV instead of owning the TV. So they've lost their mastery. They've fallen out of yoga, union with Brahman. Union with the idea that I myself am God. There is no other God in the universe except human beings, Swami Vivekananda says. Is God walking around on two legs? Why do you think? He said, I have cut man in my own image. There inside all living beings is the one indivisible Atman, as it were, instilled there from the very inception of creation. Creation had an inception, you might say, but Brahman never had an inception. Therefore, we worship Divine Mother last night. We look upon her as the nameless, formless essence. It's why we call her Mother. That's the nicest name to use. Mother's most affectionate, mother's most kind, mother's most compassionate, mother serves us. So when Sri Ramakrishna called Kali, or Mother Kali, or Kali Mother, he was looking at that very indivisible self. There was no sense of separation in his mind because the ego had become so diminished, sense of I had gone away, and then just thou, thou, so that was one of the few English phrases he knew. Not I, but thou. He could say that in English. Not I, but thou, O mother. So this Sangalpa can get out of hand. We can see by looking at the world just how out of hand it can get or has gotten. So the solution for Sankalpa, after saying these little four spiritual sound bites, the solution for Sankalpa, according to Vashishta, is curbing the mind's thoughts in. He says it's like crumpling a full-blown flower in one's hand. Sri Ramakrishna used this very nice analogy. There's a huge whitish-pink lotus blossom with about five or six different levels of leaves. Somebody takes a sword and cuts through it with one stroke. That's what getting rid of sankalpa by the power of one's will is. I will calm this mind by striking out its tendency to see multiplicity and duality everywhere and return it to its one source. Why did Christ say, if thine eye be single, 
thou shalt know the truth. Cut out the tendency of the mind to dip again and again into projection, much of it being false. If you can project, or you might say, concentrate your mind on eternal truths, or those things which are beneficial, then that's another matter. Sri Krishna says later in the Gita, Oh Arjuna, you must come to know the difference between what's bad, what's good, and what's beneficial. So the distinction between good and beneficial must be examined. Karma, vikarma, and akarma again. He goes into it in greater depths in chapters 16, 17, and 18, which we'll get to, oh, in maybe a year, <laughs> or six or eight months from now. <laughs> 